This is a very special episode. We we learn about the dangers of drugs. Yes. And, and, and not, not and have not, the, the dude from uh, WKRP molest you. Yes. Um, and also, uh, don't go drinking anything that's uh, in, in the, from the cabinet under the sink. Mm-hmm. And don't play in refrigerators that have been abandoned. Unless you're Indiana Jones. <laughs> Crucial. But not if you're Punky Brewster's friend. <laughs> no, Unless Punky Brewster, like, befriends, like, Indiana Jones in, like, a later episode or something. I think you just uh, wrote a piece of fanfiction that would probably get a lot of upvotes or something on fanfiction.net. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to share this episode there, then, and just be all, like, you know fanfic in this episode also listen to stuff about our our special topic <laughs> yes and our special topic this week is the one the only the great and the sadly late frank vincent zappa Yay. That was very nice. mm-hmm. yeah a man who needs no introduction but if you want to introduce him i'm going to leave that to uh to you matt if you'd like Okay. Um, I I don't know. I, I I figure you know, like I think everyone at least has heard of Frank Zappa, which is cool. Um, it's probably a, a bit of a change from a lot of our picks. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just like um, immensely talented composer. Um, just. I mean, it's 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 really cool. He wanted to be a classical composer. Realized that. You know, there was no, you know, no real way to get to get heard that way, really. And so he went into rock and roll <laughs> hmm. and, and was doing basically the kind of stuff that he'd want to do in classical in the, the rock and roll format. So you have stuff with like lots of like crazy time signatures and weird changes and movements and and just really cool stuff in it. And it works. <laughs> Quite well. Yeah. And eventually did get into making classical music as well, which we'll get to, we'll talk about that later, but also he's worked in jazz, he's worked in rock, he's worked in electronic music. Yeah, there's scarcely a, a major genre of, of music that he hadn't touched. Mm-hmm. So... Not to mention, you know, he was a one of those larger than life figures, uh, very opinionated, very intelligent, very often arrogant, but in a way that you know all the best and most intelligent people tend to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he had the he he was arrogant, but he had the charisma and the knowledge to to back it up. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't mean he, he couldn't uh, be a jerk, but you know, at right. least at least he wasn't you know 
a, a loud mouth idiot or anything. <laughs> yeah. Is is there a definitive book on Zappa and his works? Uh, probably the real Frank Zappa book, which was a, a autobiography, I think. Ah. Yes. Worth it. It's and, a really fun read, too. Yeah. And it's interesting. One of the parts of the book is Zappa basically inventing peer-to-peer file sharing over the phone lines before the internet. Yeah. And it's like, people don't give a shit about sound quality. Why not just have people call up a service, hook up a, c- a phone to a, c- a tape player, and have people buy music that way? <laughs> yeah, what does that remind you of? <laughs> And that was what, like eighty <laughs> eight? Yeah. So, that's it. Well, hmm. We've all picked three different. We've we well, we've all, even all picked three different Frank Zappa albums. All three of us have picked a different Frank Zappa album to talk about. It'd be so, kind of weird if we all picked the same one. <laughs> be a wait, short wait. episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people might appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I don't know. why don't we do this in chronological order? That sounds good. Okay. That would mean uh, start with you, I guess, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one that I picked was one of my favorite Zappa albums, um, which was Absolutely Free, uh, which was the second album with the, uh, well, it's his second album overall, but also the second album with the Mothers of Invention. Um, I, I know a lot of people are like, well, well I guess, like, I mean, Zappa had so many eras that you get like people who are like, oh man, only like the, you know, the mother's stuff is the real stuff and only the first version of the mother. And then you have people who are like, okay, anything up through this about maybe 74, 76 is good. And then you have people who more or less like it all. Like I, I do. Um, and which isn't to say that he didn't have his, his share of clunkers, of course, like think fish, but, but yeah, it's like I, I, I tend to like all of the eras of Zappa, but e- even so, Absolutely Free is one of my favorites. And it's just a really great rock record. Um, but also, there's a lot of other stuff going on there, too. Like uh, uh, Don Ellis uh, played on that record, which is amazing. And so did uh, Ralph Humphreys, who, was, um, who later played more with Zappa, but was also um, Don Ellis's drummer. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, why don't we hear a little bit of the, of one of the tracks that I chose or that, well, the track I chose, which is one of the tracks on the album as it, as it turns out. Um, and that was, uh, the classic kind of seven minute epic brown shoes. Don't make it. Go away. Be a Go away. Do your job and do it right. dinner by the pool aren't you glad you finished school (laughs) 
<laughs> Watch your brother grow a beard. Have another year of school. He's okay. You're too weird. Etc. <laughs> be a bummer. Be a bummer. Be a bummer every summer. Be a loyal plastic robot for a world that doesn't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just like i'm the i think i think in a way like a uh, brown shoes kind of encapsulates the album as a whole uh because like i mean you have like the the a side where you have like the the louis louis parody pastiche whatever you want to call it um plastic people and then you have the colony vegetable duke of prunes suite which is actually full on classical, really. I mean, it's, I mean, it's got the movements, and it's it's really just a really cool piece. And it's like it's kind of funny that it's like this, you know, the second track on what's ostensibly a rock record, or well, the Swede because it's in a few tracks, but whatever. Um, and then you have like, and most of the B side of the record is more um, straightforward um, songs like. Uh, uh, Son of Susie Cream Cheese or Set Us Back Baby or Uncle Bernie's Farm. And it's just kind of its own weird slice of what Zap is about in a in a screwy sort of way. And it's just I I I just think it's a phenomenal record. Um I think it's stronger than Freak Out, actually, which was the first Zappa record, which is also amazing. Mm. Um, but it's, it's stronger because it's a little bit more concentrated. Uh, freak out was a, uh, was one of the, uh, I think it's the first debut double album and, and it's often considered like the first double album of rock. Um, but yeah, it's, but, um, absolutely free is just a, was a, just one LP. And I think, I think in a way that that kind of helped tighten up the focus and which I think is a problem that Zappa did have later in life, but I, I also kind of am, am fine with his more is more philosophy. So, but there you go. So absolutely free. What'd you think? Rich. Okay. This was actually one of the first two Frank Zappa records I ever got because you know, I, I did the, the dumb thing, which was basically, I have no idea where to start. So, um, okay, I'll, well, I, the, uh, the other one I got was, uh, Sheik Your Booty. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, which I think I got because I knew the song, I'd, I'd heard of the song Dancing Fool. So, yeah, we're talking two very different records, and I actually had a little trouble getting into this one at the start. But, it did quickly become one of my favorites, and, you know, I think it's interesting... Um, I just want to, that two of the, uh, albums we're doing here, both, we have two of them with both have the, uh, the Louie Louie quote, which is, uh, you know, a bit of, uh, conceptual continuity that is essential to any Zappa fan. And, uh, yeah. And it's also interesting. You mentioned the whole classical piece. Have you ever heard? Duke of Orchestral Prunes, I think it's on... I don't know if it which regular album it's on, but I know it's on the Leather album. Yeah, I think that's on Orchestral Favorites, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and it really and yeah it's amazing <laughs> yeah. and some of the um you know it it really shows off Zappa's compositional abilities and you know that were kind of slightly limited by the mother's playing you know it's interesting how Zappa over the years has basically basically upgraded his players from you know these are some guys I know who play a lot who play really hard to I'm going to get some of the best jazz musicians in the world. I'm going to get some of the best, absolutely top-notch jazz musicians and make them play rock, and so on and so on, until basically, like, screw it, I'm going with actual classical musicians. <laughs> and except, or even more, or even more like, screw it, musicians are never going to be able to play this stuff right. I'm going with the computer. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but have you ever... Read, I think... uh, oh, oh, go on, Matt. I was going to say, too, one of, the, one of the things I think, like, Zappa doesn't get enough credit for is, like, you know, I mean, everyone does think of him as, like, being really experimental, which he was, of course. But he also could write some absolutely gorgeous melodies. I mean, not, not just, like, Watermelon Easter Hay, but um, Strictly Genteel from uh, 200 Motels and, well, lots of other stuff. Because that was another one of those tracks that he would record a lot. Yeah. And it's and it's even on the uh, London Symphony Orchestra record that he did, and it's just a gorgeous piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my favorite story about the London Symphony Orchestra record was that once he was able to book the London Symphony Orchestra, they thought, "Oh, hey, Frank Zappi's a rock guy. We don't have to put this seriously." And so they all went out for drinks. Then they came back and saw the sheet music, and were like, "Oh, fuck." <laughs> Uh, I was about to mention, speaking of brown shoes don't make it, have, do you actually know the origin of uh, where that came from? I don't know if I do. Okay. Um, it goes back to, uh, I'm going to double check this on my own, I've got a link in the show notes to the orig- to the Time article called, uh, uh, from the 60s, The Meaning of the Cordovans. Oh, God. Um, and basically... There we go. Yeah. When uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was a bit of a fashion plate, was mm. accidentally caught wearing brown shoes with a gray suit, which had some people, which basically tipped off the news media. This was the, this was 62. Um, or sorry, 66, rather. Um, this was 66, and, you know, people still dressed properly then. And so, basically, that... People, the news media saw that and picked up on it and realized, oh shit, there's some there's some trouble brewing if Lyndon Johnson's wearing brown shoes with a gray suit. So I'm gonna throw a link to that. I'm gonna throw a link to that article in the show notes. The meaning of the Cordovans. Hmm. Wow, it's funny that they would latch onto something so minor to me. You know. <laughs> well, but, you know, back then this this meant something. You know. Um, I yeah, but it's it's still kind of funny, you know. But yeah, I, I never really quite knew what brown shoes don't make it was, other than that brown shoes apparently aren't cool. <laughs> now, when you wear a gray suit, you're supposed to wear uh black shoes. When you wear a black suit, obviously you wear black shoes. When you wear a navy suit, you can wear brown shoes or black shoes. Brown suit, brown shoes, 
again, this, but this is not, these aren't hard and fast rules, but they were harder and faster in the 60s. Yeah. Sorry, men's so, fashion so has become I, a, a uh, slightly mod, a, a slight obsession of mine in the last uh, couple of years. Hmm. I wear brown shoes every day, but never black pants. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. Do, do you match, I, I, the, do you match I, the color of your belt to the color of your shoes? Yes, that's the only fashion thing that I know about. The only fashion rule I know. You're good. I, so I, my belt and my shoes always match. I, I wear like exclusively black pants and no belt. And brown shoes, so I'm lame. <laughs> and basically various like band t-shirts. So I, I probably I'm probably out of that running anyway. I have so many band t-shirts and I try to get away from wearing them out in public. But it's just so difficult. I, I mostly wear button down shirts I, I, these days. <laughs> uh I, I think I tend to feel weird if I'm not wearing a band t-shirt. <laughs> Or at least a pony t-shirt, if not a band t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I come into a vast sum of money, uh, probably one of the first things to be overhauled will be my wardrobe. But as much as I would like to invest in some some quality adult clothes, I just do not have the funds at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, the, for the wedding that I um, went to, like since I was the best man, I uh, got this really cool uh, three-piece suit, which – is is definitely handy and it's you know basically it, it's tailored and and all that kind of stuff and so that that's pretty awesome. So I, I do have that if I if I if I need to to fancy myself up. But yeah, I have a blue blazer that my grandmother bought me years ago, which I still rock on the occasional job interview. Um, but it's nice to dress up once in a while. It makes you feel kind of handsome. Yeah. Agreed. <clears throat> anyway. Rat hole. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's the origin of brown shoes don't make it, at least the title. So, right. yeah, this so, yeah. whole uh, this topic, this was the the idea for this episode was my idea because I everything that you guys are saying is an education for me, being only a a casual Frank Zappa fan uh, at this point in time. Uh, although I want to become. Uh, much more of a Frank Zappa fan. Um, and I think, I don't know, so I can't speak as to where this record stands uh, in his overall discography, but I think that one of the things that kind of intrigues me about the Zappa, Zappa oeuvre is that is the the humorous element to it. And, you know, a lot of times I think that you know, when you have an artist like Weird Al or something that incorporates a lot of humor in their music, <coughs> excuse me, uh, it can kind of border on novelty. Certainly with Weird Al, it can be very novel at times. And um, as a result, it could be something that I don't listen to uh, very often. But with Zappa, it's it feels very like a different sort of humor and a different sort of novelty because it is um, humorous, but at the same time, it is backed by extreme musical and compositional chops. Uh, and so I think that dichotomy makes it uh, makes him a very interesting artist because it's almost like lyrically it's not taking himself too seriously, but musically it is very serious, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that he, you know, he kind of talked about that some too. And I, I think some of his later lyrics could get a little... 
Like I think I think he kind of resented the fact that he had to have lyrics, like to to sell to the uh, American pop consumer. I believe he did. Yeah, I recall reading that or hearing that or seeing that somewhere. Yeah, and I mean sometimes like like I think in the the '60s he kind of embraced it a little bit better and was like more bitingly satirical. Where um, I think in the the um, eighty the late '80s especially. He, I don't know, he he tended to go more, I guess, like, uh, well, a little bit scatological, more, you know, to get the, you know, the, the 13-year-old boys, you know, kind of thing. But also, like, I think he could be a little bit more obvious. Like, I mean, like, a lot of, I mean, you know, like, a lot of this, this stuff that's, like, about, like, Reagan or what's, you know, or the televangelist. Well, I love that stuff and, like, usually agree with that stuff it, it like it's um it's a little bit more straightforward than the kind of stuff he was doing earlier where it was kind of more about the people uh the the, the normal people you know living with the decisions and stuff made by the politicians uh like he would just basically sing about the politicians later in his career, and I think I think sometimes there's a little bit there, but I mean I I I do kind of I I can relate to him too, just because I think like for a, a long time, I mean he was you know that guy who you know sang about Yellow Snow or Valley Girls or or you know you know Bobby Brown goes down where it's you know the you know the 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 rapist creep or whatever, and I think that there. I think he kind of not only resented having lyrics, but I think he kind of might have resented actually like just having that kind of reputation in the you know in the in the public eye. Aside from the the hardcore music nerds like us, I, I so I think he. I, I think it's like something that he didn't really care to do anyway all the time made worse. And so he just kind of phoned phoned the lyrics in more and more, I think. Mm. I mean, Rich, do you think I'm I'm blowing smoke here or not entirely. I'm not sure I completely agree. Because some I mean, my favorite of Zappa's eighties albums is uh, You Are What You Is. Oh, same is here. Absolutely brilliant top to bottom i even like conehead okay i think it's ridiculous <laughs> i think it's stupid but i think it's stupid in a good way and you're also selling short joe's garage which well joe's know. garage was 70s and I, i'm to be honest i'm like i'm more thinking of stuff like um broadway the hard way which is a pretty good album i'm not i'm not knocking it but it's a little bit more i'm gonna make fun of you know jimmy swagger here and and that kind of thing where you know, even with Joe's Garage, it, that that is more, again, like kind of about the, the the people on the ground, I guess. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Jesus thinks you're a jerk is a brilliant song. I mean, it's hard to do a song like that and not come off as a little uh, didactic. Yeah. But I mean, he he has his target. He hits it. He's square on the nose here. There's no. What's what, for lack of a better term, pussy footing around. Um, yeah, it's very focused, and I, even if the lyrics aren't terrible, aren't incredibly witty, it's focused and it's on target and it's still funny. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is like kind of a evolution in his style of humor. Yeah, I mean, you're more into, more more into something with stuff like Valley Girl, but and the entirety of Think Fish, but well, that, we'll save that. Um, <laughs> yeah. At least, you know, the early, the early mother stuff, it was all very satirical, or at least for the first three albums. I'm not counting Lumpy Gravy in on this. That was, that's not a mother's album. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, uh, I saw, I was browsing Zappa YouTube clips the other day and, uh, I think it was on his Letterman appearance where he was talking about um, lyrics. And I think that one of the things that he said was that I found very interesting was that if you, uh, if your lyrics are kind of conventional in the sense of they are constructed and are about things that are not um, weird, like they're just normal, you know, how, whatever sort of generic lyrics, um, they're not going to have the, the same power as, when you, he was talking about putting words together that people have never heard placed together or, you know, making up words like the Grand Wazoo or something like that. And I just thought that was interesting how um, there are, you know, when it comes to, to words and language, there is, um, there are words and sentences that are not, uh, that do not violate our sense of decorum because we hear them all the time. Uh, so things like songs about love or whatever. And think it's very cool that he went he was conscious of that and went to the uh lengths of putting words together that you don't normally hear placed together or making up uh new words entirely and that does really um, i don't know if it violates your sense of decorum but it does kind of strike you in a way that makes his music very uh unique and and memorable and certainly very far out there yeah, I think that's a good point too because I'm like I'm like I'm kind of thinking of uh Montana uh when you when you mentioned like you know phrases and words that don't really go together normally, you know, you have Montana like do you know Montana the song? I don't. Okay, cuz it's it's on a uh, Overnight Sensation which is the kind of companion to apostrophe, but um uh-huh. uh but yeah, it's it's basically and it's one of those ones that sticks with you the first time you hear it because it's about Riding a a pygmy pony, um, getting a ranch in Montana to grow dental floss, and so you you know riding the pygmy pony over by the dental floss bush with a and pair of Turcon and raised, crusted tweezers. Yes, and he you know he'd get himself some bees and he'd but he'd leave the sweet stuff to somebody else, but he would take the wax, dun, 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 melt it down, dun dun dun. Takes pluck some floss and swish it around. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's about a guy growing dental floss, <laughs> <laughs> and it it is one that like I mean, it's a wonderful song. I mean, it's an it's a, definitely check it out. I'll I'll find a version on YouTube and, and f- yeah, I've seen the I've seen classic albums uh, which f- uh, featured apostrophe and overnight sensation, but I do not have uh, overnight sensation yet. Uh, definitely pick that up, especially since I know that you love apostrophe. But yeah, I do. they are but, two sides of the same coin. That should be your next Zappa album. Yeah. Alrighty. 
but yeah, I'll, I'll throw a version of Montana uh, in the show notes. I'll have to find one, of course. But but yeah, it's 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 a really great song. And I mean, it's like one of those ones that I was hooked the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, this this is like a song that's really really cool musically, but has these lyrical turns of phrase that stick in your head, and also like an odd topic, but that you you kind of roll with. I mean, it's sort of you know you. You you like you you get kind of invested in the narrator's weird ass plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could say the same thing about "Don't Eat the Yellow" about the the "Don't Eat the Yellow Snow Suite." Right. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is I think that's as good as a segue as any. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> One thing before we go on to apostrophe, um, to kind of pull back into a little bit more of a broader topic. Do you guys have friends that can't listen to music without lyrics? And if so, how do you respond to those people? With fists. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I um, don't, but at least not to my knowledge. So, Yeah, yeah. And, and to be perfectly honest, like, I, I don't require lyrics, but I, I, I am an American pop music consumer, and I do tend to gravitate more to stuff with lyrics. Mm. Um, and so I, I, and I, it's like one where, I mean, I don't, I don't shun instrumental stuff, but I mean, in general, like, like an instrumental song will have to like, kind of kick my ass to get me to go like, Oh my God, this is really good. Like say the orchestral version of um, strictly genteel. Or watermelon and Easter hay, which is for all intents and purposes an instrumental. Yeah. You cut out the central scrutinizer bits, but but yeah, it's, but and I and I know that it's lame, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's just sort of like the and I and I have gotten better about that, of course. But it, it is like it's like I, I think lyrics do kind of provide a hook. Yeah, I can totally. Um see where people who need quote unquote need lyrics are coming from uh, because it can be difficult I think for like you said using lyrics to the hook it can be difficult for an instrumental piece to um, to have a hook um, but at the same time you have uh, like a, a rock instrumental like YYZ or something like that and the the music itself is so um, strong and the chops of the musicians are so strong, and the melody is so. Um, I mean, that song is is you know it's music. I mean, it doesn't like you can't imagine how lyrics would go in that song because you know the the melodic line is like the emblematic uh, driving force behind that tune. Um, but at the same time, for me as a musician, I tend to see the human voice as just another instrument, and <clears throat> so while I can see that it would make some songs inaccessible for people, I think at the same time you have to just keep in mind that, I mean, somebody who's a vocalist who's singing lyrics is playing, quote-unquote, playing the same notes as a guitarist or a saxophone player or a bass player or whatever. Uh, they just happen to have words attached to them. And you can, because you can play, you know, um, vocal melodies on any instrument because it's all the same 12 notes. Um so that's the way I tend to think about it. So I see, I can see the point in uh, in 
instrumental music being less accessible. But at the same time, I think you have to keep in mind that it is, uh, it's all the same, the same 12 notes, so to speak. Yeah, and I think one, one thing that sometimes people run into, like from a composing side, is sometimes you get instrumental stuff that doesn't have a, a focal line, like be it voice well, I guess not voice and instrumental, duh. But you know, but you don't have something that because in a vocal track you have the the voice is sort of the lead melody line, right? And it's it's the thing that's front and center. And a lot of the the best instrumentals have something that is front and center as well. Like I'm thinking, like a I love um, a Cheer for Eddie by Ween from uh, the Chocolate and Cheese record. Uh. And it's a, you have that oop, have a, a lead kind of thing, and but sometimes you get instrumentals like and I'm I'm talking more about like like rock instrumental kind of things where it just sometimes it feels like half finished, like you you don't like you get like the standard kind of verse chorus verse structure, but it's more of in the line of the core like basically kind of like the rhythm section almost mm. like or or you get something where it's an uninteresting melody line that would be made interesting with actual words there because there's there would be content there otherwise mm-hmm. but without them you know you just get kind of like a a kind of straightforward you know i think that uh when when it comes to something like jazz music the having an absence of lyrics kind of really allows the the musicians to to converse with one another uh, in sort of a freer fashion. So if you had lyrics in there, I mean the lyrics, because when there are lyrics in a song, that is what your attention goes to um, for the most part. And I think when when lyrics get out of the way, uh, the conversation between musicians can be. Uh, is much more at the forefront. So you look at something like "So What" um, on Miles Davis's "Kind of Blue," and and there are no lyrics to that song on that album, even. Uh, but the there at the same time, there is so much conversation going on between musicians and um, you know their individual voices on their instruments uh, are allowed to come out because they are uninhibited by uh, the human voice. Yeah, and I, I one of the things I like because you've you've got uh, hot rats, right? I do have hot rats. Like uh, one of the things I like on that is uh, Willie the Pimp, where it, it's like the I think it's the only vocal track on there, and it's but in a way it, it is kind of like what you're talking about about the interplay because I mean you have the the Captain Beefheart vocals, but that's only for like maybe the first minute and a half, two minutes of the song, and mm-hmm. then you have it, it really goes over to uh, Sugarcane Harris's uh, violin playing, which is amazing. And then then kind of near the end, you have like Beefheart kind of come back and there's this kind of interplay in it. And, it, and it, it's a really cool song anyway. And I mean, great fucking groove, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, and, and I think it kind of works. And also does kind of get back to what you're talking about, about the human voice as instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I was talking about this in my uh, in one of my English classes the other day to my students, and because as a musician, I tend to listen to a lot of uh, musicians, 
um, and not really in a sort of self-indulgent way, but just in the sense that a, a true musician has a voice on their instrument that is uh, immediately recognizable. And I, I would argue that even Zappa on guitar is very recognizable. So if you listen to, you know, five different guitar solos, I bet you, even you guys could pick out, um, not even you guys, but I bet anybody could, to, could pick <laughs> <Thanks>. out, <laughs> I bet you guys could pick out, um, you know, which one is, is Zappa because he has a very distinctive tone and, and sort of, uh, the way he constructs his solo is very, is unmistakable. Um, and so... And all of my favorite musicians are like that. I mean, you can tell when you listen to to go back to the so what example. You can tell. I mean, you have uh, Miles Davis plays trumpet, obviously, so you can tell um, easily distinguish his solo from the the two saxophone solos. But at the same time, you know, Coltrane being known for his very his sheets of sound um, quality, where he plays lots of notes and was very very intense and very sort of bebop oriented. And Miles being the complete opposite of that, being very melodic and slow, and you can really hear uh, his breath coming through his horn, and Cannonball Adderley falling somewhere in the middle. Um, so that's something I really, I really value in in instrumentalists and in musicians having a voice that is so defined on their instrument that you can tell who is quote unquote speaking, even though there are no words. Cool. And I guess, I guess, since we're still kind of on that. Uh topic of instrumentals this is a little bit of a, a change but uh i just kind of wanted to throw this out here like um uh for uh my uh my neighbor's little girl had a birthday uh earlier this year as as little girls are wont to do <laughs> and um one of the things is that she's uh gonna be learning a uh, violin pretty soon and she she's actually like pretty musically inclined like i mean like uh, we'll watch like Miyazaki movies, you know, together and stuff. And she'll like latch onto like the musical themes. And so what I did was I did a quick, um, uh, kind of a best of Frank Zappa for her of mostly, um, instrumental and a couple of like the, the doo-wop kind of things. Uh, just because also you don't want to have dirty stuff on there <laughs> for a nine-year-old girl. <laughs> But um, the tracks that I chose, and I was thinking about actually doing a edit of um, Willie the Pimp that cut out the lyrics, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just couldn't make it work, so I, I, I didn't. But like I went with uh, it's mostly Hot Rats and the John Luke Ponty King Kong album kind of combined. But like it's uh, Peaches on Regalia, the Gumbo Variations, uh, Little Clanton Shuffle, which from the Hot episode or the Lost episode, which was a. Uh, Hot Rats Outtake, um, Must Be a Camel, uh, Charlena from the Lost Episodes version, and then from uh, Ponty, uh, King Kong, Idiot Bastard Son, which I actually labeled as IBS on the sleeve. <laughs> um, music for um, Electric Violin and Low Budget Orchestra, which I think, I think that one is exclusive to uh, King Kong. Uh, America Drinks and Goes Home. And then uh, from Weasel's uh, Rip My Flesh, directly from my heart to you. Mm. And it's just sort of a, you know, and I tried to kind of focus on violin just because it's a, you know, I mean, because I know that she's into that. But also it's sort of like, I don't know, like, I mean, especially with Sugar Cane Harris. I mean, dude was amazing. 
So I, I just thought I'd throw that out there just because I thought, it, you know, and I, to be honest, I don't know if, if she liked it or not. Uh, she never really said, but I don't mm. know. At least I tried. And I, I got her some other stuff, too, so it wasn't just like, here's a burned CD you might like. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have that exposure because you have to kind of work to break out of the mainstream and discover, like, nobody's going to place Frank Zappa on your doorstep if you don't go to the lengths of seeing what else is out there beyond the radio. Yeah. And I, and I kind of wanted with, with that, I'd kind of wanted to show her that, you know, the different sides of violin too, because I mean, violin does get kind of, you know, pigeonholed as, you know, a, a pretty classical type instrument. And then you have, but like, and with like sugarcane Harris, you get some really funky stuff in there. And I kind of, that was kind of what I, what I wanted to do is like, you know, show her like different colors of the instrument too, that she might not be aware of otherwise, I guess. Sure. Good work. <laughs> so so I, that, I hope she liked hook, it. Hook I don't em, know. Hook them while they're young. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about what causes an individual to be, maybe it's just the degree to which they're a music fan, but like what causes someone to, like my friend, uh, one of my very best friends, uh, whenever we ride in his car, I mean, he just has, you know, uh, you know, a generic radio station playing and like, I can never, um, I mean, I suppose it is just whether how big of a music fan you are, but I could never ride in my car just listening to the radio. Like it's so, and it's not even just that a matter of liking the songs that are on the radio. Like it's an emotional thing. Like I need to be able to blast certain music at certain times. And you know, it's a, it's a catharsis thing. And, um, so it's just interesting to think how some people, uh, you know, are perfectly content, uh, we're not with with listening to to what's in the mainstream as opposed to the people that feel the need to to dig and find uh, what else is out there. Mm-hmm. Different strokes and all that. Yeah. <clears throat> so apostrophe. Okay. I guess so. Uh, uh, so my uh, I had to I told Matt and Rich that I had to reserve this album to talk about on the show because this was the Frank Zappa album that of the handful that I had. Um, this was the Frank Zappa album, Zappa album that I'm most familiar with and most qualified to, to talk about, even though I'm probably not qualified to talk about it at all. Um, and it is Apostrophe, which was released in 1974, his 18th album, uh, according to Wikipedia. And I didn't even pick a hook track for this one. Um, so do you guys, what are your thoughts on, I mean, I think my favorite moment is pulling it up on iTunes. I think my father oblivion actually. But uh, I mean the whole thing is great from start to finish. But do you guys have any thoughts on what would be a good hook trick? Um I'm I'm bringing up my copy of apostrophe too cuz like I think some cuz I mean I actually literally have everything Zappa put out except for that that new Besta which I just cuz I couldn't find it at the record store yet. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I have to like look up and see like okay now what's on this one again especially yeah. especially too with like the aforementioned overnight sensation it's like right. those two really blend together. Um, the probably the most yeah, famous think, cut like, is uh, 
is the don't eat the yellow snow sweep, but I don't know which Father Oblivion, yeah. Father Oblivion is a part of. Uh, either maybe the the title track instrumental maybe. is very good. Yeah. yeah, maybe that or maybe like Cosmic Debris too. Mm-hmm. Is that a real I mean, poncho that, or is that a Sears poncho? <laughs> and and for what it's worth, like like I absolutely adore Uncle Remus, which mm-hmm. was uh, written with uh, George Duke. Nice. And but it's a little bit of a, I guess it's a a, a little bit of a departure for for the album, so that's probably not a good um, a good hook for apostrophe. Yeah. But you know it's. It's like Zappa didn't do any R&B or anything, which right. Uncle Remus is very much a part of. But Yeah. Well, let's go with Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, then, and we'll play that for the folks. Cool. Well, I turned around and I said, oh, oh. Well, I turned around and I said, oh, oh. And the northern lights commenced to glow. And she said, with a tear in her eye. Watch out where the huskies go, don't you eat that yellow snow. Watch out where the huskies go, don't you eat that yellow snow. God, I know that all this like shit by like heart. <laughs> no, no. Don't <laughs> so the reason that I picked that I love this record, uh, despite being, I think, I don't know. I mean, you guys can confirm this or not, but still knowing uh, just the small portion of his discography that I'm familiar with, it seems like this would be a great place to start. Is that generally beliefs? Yes. To be yes. true. Um, and it's just for me a very uh fascinating record and at the same time it's very good and very listenable and it's it's short and concise it's only 32 minutes or whatever and i love the opening the yellow snow suite i suppose what it's called and uh, it's just full of imagery and color and uh, wonderful instrumental uh qualities and lyrical qualities at the same time uh and it strikes that balance between humor and seriousness in terms of humorous lyrics. Um, great googly moogly jumps to mind. <laughs> and uh, and very serious uh, instrumental and compositional chops. Uh, and it's very digestible at the same time. Like it's not, I mean, Rich, you mentioned that, and this is where I am, that's, you know, is there a number for how many records that he put out? Either during his lifetime or or posthumously. During his lifetime, um, I, or cumulatively. Hmm. Uh, I think I hmm. think we're up to like ninety. I think for wow. of all time. Um, I'm sure, there's a Frank Zappa discography album uh, article here. Yeah, as well as tribute albums. During his lifetime, Zappa released sixty-two albums. Between 94 and 2011, the Zappa Family Trust released 29 posthumous albums, making a total of 91. Yeah, and they like the later ones do actually have like a little number of like this is release number ninety one from from Zappa, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting just because there's so many fucking records. Yeah, <laughs> and he's so, been dead for and, almost twenty years, and he's still putting out records. Yes. <laughs> so 
I, I just think that uh, apostrophe is a, a record that can stand in isolation and is very uh, digestible and enjoyable, independent of whether or not you know anything else by him or not. Uh, and I think that it's a good sort of gateway drug, <laughs> gateway album uh, to the rest of his oeuvre. Um, yeah. So yeah, you guys help me help me figure out what to say about this. Yeah, well, I, I think it's I think it is kind of telling that both of us chose um, shorter albums too, because a lot of the a lot of the Zappa albums are double albums or double LPs, mm-hmm. and like, and sometimes they can be a little bit much, especially for a a newbie. Like I mean, like I probably of the double albums, probably like Shake Your Booty is probably the most accessible. But even that has, you know, stuff like, you know, Ratamago and, you know, stuff like that that's a little a little out there that you wouldn't probably have on a one LP version of the album. Um, but yeah, and, and I think, too, it's interesting, like the great googly moogly, because I mean, that's that from like a um, I think it's uh, old blues record. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't remember which, but yeah, but there's, there's, it's one of the things that I, I love about Zappa too is he would throw in lots of references like that and not, not in a derivative way, of course, but basically in a kind of winking way that would kind of nudge people to, you know, maybe check things out. You know, it's like, you know, someone where like they might. Like like now, like you know, you go like, oh yeah, I really like the great googly moogly part, and then you have someone else going, oh yeah, that's from some blues record. And they'd if they were actually like better, they would know what what record that was, <laughs> and and this you know, and then you would go like, you know, go oh cool, and then you you might go and actually check out that blues record that Zappage liked, right? Yeah, and and there's like you know like quotes from like Stravinsky and stuff like that, and all over his. His records, like you know, like even in um, uh, cruising with Ruben and the Jets, the the um, the the doo-wop record that he made in the um, in what I think want to say sixty eight, sixty nine, and there's there's like a couple of like like I think it's Fountain of Love has like the Firebird Suite quote in there, I think, and it's just kind of interesting that you know you have this kind of stuff in there that is just sort of like, oh, yeah, and it, it kind of does nudge people out there. Or or in the liner notes, how he'd often quote uh, uh, Verace's, uh The Modern Day Composer Refuses to Die, as just a, a kind of a, a gentle nudge of like, you know, almost like, you know, hey, hey, tss, tss, hey, uh, if you like that shit, we, we, we got some more over there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there's also there's so much happening in Zappa's oeuvre, uh, just in terms of these references and both external and internal, um, that there's a whole cottage, thanks to the internet, a whole cottage scholarship industry that's popped up. Uh, I've thrown some links in the show notes to uh, the uh, Zappa Wiki Jawaka. Um, Information is not knowledge, which is probably the uh, the most comprehensive site of Frank Zappa discography and lyrical and ref- inter-reference information. And also uh, the kind of ugly but still essential uh, ARF, that Frank Zappa scholarship page. Yeah, I was going to mention they... ARF if, if you if you hadn't. Yep, I'm on it. <laughs> 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 and you know, these people go through and contribute 
and to mention like reference this and that and the next thing and it's intense i mean it, these people put me to shame with how in depth they get on some of zappa's references and lyrical references and this and that the next thing yeah and i always like find it interesting like you know when i look at that to look up a particular reference to realize that sometimes i had stuff completely wrong like um in uh wind up working at a gas station you know the the line near the end uh manny the camper wants to buy some white mm-hmm. i honestly always thought that was like a reference to like coke but no it's it's uh diesel gas it's what hmm. what they would call like I, I think it's diesel but it's like basically what you would use in your camper or is, is like white gasoline. I think it's their diesel or maybe it's like unleaded at a time when unleaded was a little bit rare. I don't, I don't remember, but it's, it's basically an actual, it's a, it's a, it's a gas station reference and not a, a weird drug reference. <laughs> hmm. yeah. I mean, like Rich, did you, did you, what did you tr- in, interpret the line the way I did previously? Yes. Or? yes, I did. Okay. Okay. Okay, because, yeah, I just, I, I, I always wondered if I was just, like, being weird or something, but, yeah, I was like, but, yeah, it's, it's gas. <laughs> yeah, this might be a, a good seg- a good uh, time to mention Zappa's stance on drugs. Yes. Which was, um, he didn't do them. Anti. <laughs> he, was, he, he, he didn't think other people should do them, but he wasn't going to stand in the way of anyone who wanted to, unless they were in his band. Yes, mm. he, he fired people for doing uh, dope in his band. Wow. Mostly because, honestly, you can't play Zappa's music when you're high. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, he like he basically cigarettes and coffee were his two drugs of choice, and like occasionally a beer, he'd say, but like he wasn't even really a big drinker. But yeah, it's like but, yeah, you're Europe. And you're on the road and you have to eat. Your, your choices are beer or whatever the hell the water is in the town. And the, you know the beer's mm-hmm. going to be safer. So. Yeah, it's interesting that he was a, uh, had that stance, you know, being as how weird and out there. And you would think, oh, you have to be high to, to come up with this sort of thing. But clearly yeah. you don't. Yeah, and yeah. you definitely and that's, can't be high that's to always play been, Yeah, and that's always something that's like, bugged me anyway is that that concept of you know oh man you totally have to be high to come up with this shit yeah it's like no fuck you I, I, like you know they're just creative <laughs> yeah some of the uh the musicians that i follow have have um said that pot for example can be sort of a creative um catalyst but at the same time as they as they got older they consciously moved away from it because they didn't want to they wanted to you know remember their their kids childhoods and and that sort of thing and the novelty sort of of the drugs sort of wore off yeah i mean it's pot pot or or we or uh lsd or whatever doesn't create music i mean it's it's in there but it can be it can be a catalyst like you say but it's already in you you know what Mm -hmm. i mean right the general consensus is that uh Dylan's introduction of the Beatles to cannabis uh, is what helped really kick them in the ass and start making, helping them make interesting, more interesting music. I don't know how true that is. When did that, that is, happen but, in the in the Beatles' history? Uh, I'm wearing the time a little before before rubber, just before Rubber Soul, basically, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, like 
like Rubber Soul was when they started to really branch out. Yeah. I could double check mm. on that. But again, is that the first instance of Sitar? I think it might be. Mm. I mean, not so, in the world, but. <laughs> yeah. well, in the, on a Beatles record. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> the, uh, George Harrison built the sitar himself and then played it incorrectly. Because <laughs> he actually did. He, he played it like a guitar, and you're, you're not supposed to do that. But yeah. it, it worked, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of the, uh, of the sitar. Beatles songs. Yeah. What? Uh, it's an underutilized instrument. Yeah, I love it. It's um, Gabby Lala is a is a famous, uh, well, famous sitar player, as famous as a sitar player can be, and she was in uh, Les Claypool's fancy band for for a n- number of years. Um, yeah, she's and I also, always found her very enjoyable. Yeah, she's also on the new Coup album. I I, I actually like uh, uh, I actually before when you were away like i was you know while we were waiting i was like i'm gonna watch the video for your parents cocaine again because that's a really good one but um i saw I, that that was pretty creepy oh yeah <laughs> but um gabby lava is all over the record and she plays sitar on a few things and stuff and but yeah if like it's not zap <laughs> so it's a little bit of a uh rat hole but totally check out um and this goes to everybody uh the new coup record uh sorry to bother you mm-hmm. maybe make that your pick next week i might actually i've been thinking about that and I'm going to throw uh, Parents Cocaine in the show notes just because. <laughs> um, so are we still, are so we before, still on apostrophe? Or? Well, before we leap forward in time to talk about your pick, uh, Rich, I'm not trying can to you guys – No, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you guys explain to, to me and the listeners the uh, relationship between apostrophe and overnight sensation? Because I've seen the – like I said, I've seen the classic albums episode where they talk about both, but what is the connection? Is it just the proximity in which they were released, or is it the musical stylings, or or what? Kind of, yes, kind of all of the above. They were kind of rec- aren't they basically recorded at the same time too? Like one right? I after think the other so. In the same studio session. I think so. Or yeah. Like I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was like ever intended to be like a double album or anything like that. But I mean, I think it was like basically the same. Things in uh, Ike Turner's studio, and it's cool that um, Tina Turner sings backup on those records, mm. which is kind of amazing. You, I mean, you can totally hear her. Is she on Cosmic Debris? Yeah. Ah. So, and like she was uncredited because, like, like it was some record company crap, uh, but she was uncredited, and it was like basically in a time when. She was kind of between peaks, like career peaks. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of—I don't necessarily want to say like out of work, but it wasn't like you know she she wasn't famous at the time, but she had been previously, and she would be again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was recorded at uh, Ike's studio, I believe. Nice. <laughs> All right, I have to grab Overnight Sensation. Definitely. Do it as soon as we're done recording. Don't wait. Okay. Especially now because all the Zappa stuff's on iTunes now. So It is, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yes. Plug, plug. <laughs> Thank you, Gail. Have a nice page there. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to really jump ahead um, because my pick this week is uh, the last album Zappa released uh, while he was alive. 
uh, and it is uh, The Yellow Shark, which was his uh, album of orchestral music recorded with the Ensemble Modern. And it the, uh, the, my, the song I would like to play for you folks is a orchestral version. Uh, it's the last track on the album, an orchestral version of the song G-Spot Tornado, which was originally recorded and composed on Synclavier for his 1985 album, Jazz uh, From Hell. Six, I think. I think I think Jazz from Hell was eighty six. Okay. Okay. And I don't know. Either I, one. Mid eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I do like Jazz from Hell, but this is um a little bit of G Spot Tornado. Here we go. Um, yeah, I actually have a story about that version of uh, G Spot Tornado, if you don't mind. Because I'll to interrupt because this has been like a really loose episode anyway, I guess. I don't know. Well, let me say my piece on it real quick. Um, okay, okay, okay. With regards to this performance of G Spot Tornado, and there's a uh, a couple other, or at least one other uh, Jazz from Hell track on on the Yellow Shark, uh, Girl in a Magnesium Dress. When the when Zappa was put, putting this thing together with the Ensemble Modern, basically they came to him and said, "We want to do Girl in the Magnesium Dress and G Spark Tornado." And Zappa's like, "Good luck with that. You can, no human can play these, especially <laughs> since um, Jazz from." Uh, Girl in the Magnesium Dress is a solo piano piece that needs four hands, so they had to play it on two pianos. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, Zappa was convinced that they couldn't play it, but they managed to, to pull it off. It's obviously not a per- per- completely perfect rendition, but that's that's what you get with humans. So, Stupid now you can humans. say... Yeah, now you can say your piece on Cheese Bar Tornado, now that I've set it up. Okay, okay um, by the way, I do have to make one minor correction. Uh, magnesium, a uh, girl in the magnesium dress is not on uh, Jazz from Hell, but on uh, the Perfect Stranger. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> How does it feel to be wrong, wrongy? <laughs> but <laughs> especially on what what billion. Zappa records, uh, uh, individual piece happens to be on. It's sort of, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a crapshoot anyway, unless it's like, you know, one of the big ones. <laughs> but um, anyway, the one of the things I do like is I, I actually like, um, I think if it weren't for his anti sampling stance, like I think Zappa would be proud of me because uh, in a uh, video production piece, um, we had to do like a, a chase video and score it. And so what I ended up doing was doing an edit of um, one of the uh, Edgar Varese tracks, uh, the one that uh, sounds like tuning up. I can't remember what that one is called. I want to 
It might um, just be tuning up. I think that's oh. an actual thing. Avrace. But I mean, the, the cool thing with Avrace track is that it is, it's written to sound like that, so, sound like an orchestra tuning up. But anyway, though, so I, I did that and then like um, did a uh, bash cut into the Yellow Shark version of um, G-Spot Tornado. Sweet. And it really worked, and it, and it actually, like, you know, it, I, I thought the video really worked well, and also the, I think the class dug it. Cool. Especially because you have, like, the tuning up bit, and then and then you have, like, this really, really frenetic piece. Yeah. I'd like to, if you have that video, like, you should upload it. No, I don't anymore. I have no uh. idea where it is. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know if I if I have it on a tape somewhere or if it's lost to the annals of time. Um, but yeah, it's, but you can you can just imagine it. It was like you know a couple of you running around our our campus. I don't remember what what the the payoff was for the chase, like because usually there was like I would like shoehorn in a joke in projects that I would work on. <laughs> So the Yellow Shark, um, it's a it's a mix actually of new pieces um, written for the ensemble and some versions of older Zappa stuff. In fact, for the first song is uh, variations on the theme from Dog Breath in the Year of the Plague off of Uncle Meat. Going to El Leaves Stadium. I love that song so much. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's one of those themes that I'm glad that uh, Zappa kept coming back to. <laughs> Pick up on my Lisa, she's her divine. Helps me steal and hopcats with stop time. <laughs> um, fuzzy die. Okay, I'm I'm done. <laughs> Bongo's back. <laughs> that was one of the things I loved on MST3K. Is like Servo would always sing that. <laughs> fuzzy dies and Bongo's. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's probably the best orchestral record of Zappa in Zappa's career because the you know the London Symphony Orchestra was a absolute pain in the ass to put together because um, they were drunk when they were recording it. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of sounded like they didn't want to be there and. Or at least didn't care. They saw it as a gig, where the ensemble modern actually sought out Zappa. Yeah. Hmm. And um, you know, orchestral favorites is you know just you know, it's an orchestral recording. I don't even know what orchestra is on it, but it's like a bunch of studio hands. Yeah, it's it's okay, but it's not it's not great. It's just sort of there. Yeah. Meanwhile, this has also. You know, some of the new compositions are great and amazing. And, and of course, there's the fun of, you know, Welcome to the United States. <laughs> so um, this is probably, I know you're comfortable with it. This was probably a bit of a shock for Andrew. So I'm curious to know what you thought, man. I um, I don't listen to very much classical or orchestral stuff. And... um. I think, you know, you can kind of very, very broadly and over simply, over simply, you can classify, divide any piece of music between, and classify it as either listenable music, 
music designed for listening or music designed for dancing, so to speak. And classical music has always been um, obviously a, a listenable thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I listen to plenty of music that is listening oriented, um, like jazz and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but at the same time, I would always prefer jazz over something like classical because classical always seemed to me to be I don't even really know how to articulate it. Something that is more, I mean, like, you know, people say to, you should listen to classical music in the background while you're trying to work or study or something. Um, and so that's kind of the stigma I always had about classical music. And there was never, I think I, you know, I struggled to find a hook or, or something, you know, like that. Whereas with jazz, I could appreciate the, the, um, I don't really know how to distinguish, and maybe I don't know how big of fans you guys are of classical music and jazz music, but it always seemed to me like classical was sort of more stuffy, not in a negative way, but just more like stuffier and, you know, like an orchestra with a conductor and everything. And it just never um, seemed very fun, uh, although the musical talent obviously can't be disputed. So anyway point of that rambling was that I never really gave orchestral or classical music um, much attention uh, because it would always, you know, it would always be something that I would think would, would just fade into the background and I would have trouble concentrating on it. But with the Yellow Shark, I was very uh, sort of taken aback by how listenable it was in the sense of that it required and certainly merited an active listen. Uh, and so while I was listening to it, and I can't, I can't speak about any of the tracks now in retrospect, but while I was listening to it, um, I found it to be very listenable and it held my attention uh, in a way that, you know, box, whatever, something or other, symphony um, might not. Um, so it was, and knowing now, just learning that, according to you guys, Zappa was a a classical musician who just decided to go the the rock route um, for not I want to say for commercial reasons, but kind of for commercial reasons uh, before he could get back to what he really wanted to do. Uh, that in itself is fascinating to me. So I don't know. That was a very long and and convoluted rant, but uh, I I thought it was really interesting and really uh, enjoyable, and it's something that I need to. Uh, to spend more time with and get to know a lot better to sort of internalize it. Um, but I can, I was a little apprehensive about, I, cause I knew he had an orchestral period and I was like, ah, that's probably not going to do too much for me, but, but this was, um, fascinating. And so I'm glad that, uh, the opposite is the case. You might also check out uh, lumpy gravy, which is his first classical record. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, it, 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 it runs into a tricky bit because there's two lumpy gravies. You've got the uh, well, yeah, yeah. The, the officially released version from '67 is semi-classical, or at least it's classical in structure, but it's got those the vocal samples and it's got non, you know, rock instrumentation on it and this and that. And then you've got the original version of Lumpy Gravy, which was only just finally released on the uh, box set with the uh, the mono version of Only End for the Money. Which is, yeah, I'm the uh, lumpy pick, money set. I'm honestly surprised you didn't pick Rolling in for the money for your pick, Matt. But. Honestly, I, I I honestly do like um, absolutely free a bit more. Like I think okay. I I I love um, Rolling in for the money, 
But I, I think that sometimes there's a few um, bits where sort of Zappa's like theory of excess could could get in there. And there's like kind of moments on that album where I kind of feel that like even at that point early, he was like, oh, you think I'm weird? Fuck you. I'll give you weird. <laughs> and and I, I mean, and I I definitely works as a whole but i mean there's stuff like like um oh uh the uh, na- what is it nasal retentive calliope music like and stuff like that that's i i don't know i i uh it's stuff like that that kind of brings the album down a little bit for me or or a chrome planted megaphone of destiny you know it's okay. sort of there and i don't know and, and some of the other songs on there are really great but also a little like I mean, it's it's very much a sweet, you know, and, and I mean, and that, but there's also some stuff that seems a little half finished, I guess, you know. And I mean, which I mean, I guess kind of makes sense too, considering that, like, you know, one of I mean, it's kind of sort of a riff on um, Sergeant Pepper's, yeah. And yeah. I mean, and you have like one of the most famous songs from Sergeant Pepper, um, "Day in the Life." Which was two half finished songs jammed together. So it's sort of it, it makes sense. And I mean there's definitely really great stuff on there, like Idiot Bastard Son, Let's Make the Water Turn Black, Take Your Clothes Off When You Dance, uh, Ugliest Part of Your Body and the the Reprise, um, Concentration Moon. But but yeah, I don't know, like I like I like the record a lot. I, I would even I would say that I love the record, but I think it's a little bit overrated. Okay, I will disagree with you, but respectfully. Yeah, and I mean it's not like I'm saying that it like when I say overrated, I think it's one that I I, I know a lot of people list it as their favorite, and that's cool, but it's just not mine. <laughs> mm. it, it's not like it sucks or anything, be, except for the '85 remix. That was that was awful. 185 remix. There is no such thing. <laughs> I'm actually going to tell me there was an 85 remix of Lumpy Gravy, which clearly there is not. <laughs> yes, yes. If, if we were in some alternate universe where Frank Zappa remixed those two albums to get rid of all of the bass and drums and added a bunch of really terrible things, um, I'm sure that that would suck. But luckily, we're not in that universe, so... So only the 1967 versions exist, and that's good. Yes, mm. much like, uh, yeah, there was no remix of Ruben and the Jets either. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Yellow Shark, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of, one of the things that uh, he also talks about, I put, I found the, the Letterman interview, it's the, the 83 Letterman interview and one of the things that he talks about there is I guess that was you guys were talking about the London Symphony Orchestra record mm-hmm. and I think that's around the time that he was uh, promoting that one uh, and <laughs> Letterman is like how do you get the London Symphony Orchestra to play your music and Zappa goes you pay them mm-hmm. uh, so it's a it's a very interesting interview but anyway uh and he talks about how in the liner notes for that, what is that the London Symphony Orchestra record called? London Symphony London Orchestra. Symphony Orchestra. Ah, 
Got it. <laughs> All right. Easy well, enough. Okay. Um, he talks about how in the, in the liner notes that uh, something about how because of human error, these the tracks are not 100% as they were intended to be played uh, because of time and and financial constraints, you know, the musicians only had a certain amount of time to record the record, and uh, and you know, mistakes were made, and uh, they were edited as as best as possible. But he said that um, the album is about seventy percent of its idealized, of its ideal, true form, I guess you could say. Um, and that just makes me think of how, uh, especially with you know somebody like Zappa how the human mind is capable of of com- coming up with things that are almost like how can he think of something how can he think of something that is impossible to play almost like there's there's a a discrepancy or dichotomy between what the mind is capable of conceptualizing versus what the fingers or the the body is capable of of reproducing and i think that really speaks to his genius in that he was able to just in his mind i mean cuz you know when i come up with stuff it's because i'm i have my bass in my hands and i'm you know noodling around and and fiddling around and stuff and you know maybe once in a like the level of of being able to hear like just say a melody in your head and then being able to to um to reproduce it on your instrument uh, correctly is just uh, a level that I think all musicians kind of aspire to. And for him to be able to uh, conceptualize, you know, these sweeping orchestral and incredibly complex compositions is just uh, astounding to me. Uh, Well, Zappa was primarily a composer first. I seem to remember reading somewhere Mm. where um, the last tour he did in 88, he hadn't played guitar basically since the last tour <coughs> and had to, oh, Gesundheit, and had to, teach you. Him, yeah, had to teach himself the instrument all over again. Is, do you remember hearing anything about that, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's indeed true. And, and on, on that same kind of thing, too, I guess like a, when Dweezil's doing a uh, Zappa Play Zappa touring group and they've, done a, a live record and they're really good. I've seen them a few times. Um, but that, uh, Dweezil said that he had to actually unlearn guitar and, um, relearn it to, to like play the way his dad did. So. Hmm. Yeah. Cause Dweezil is, if memory serves, like traditionally trained as a guitar player. Yeah. And I, and his dad was pretty much self-taught, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. More or less, yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, his first band, he was the drummer. And then he was fi- fired for playing the cymbals too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there actually is uh, one song in the Zappa canon where it's him on percussion, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. It's uh, off Chunga's Revenge. What's the all percussion one on Chunga's Revenge? I can't remember. Uh, Chunga. God, I don't, I don't remember. I, I, I don't listen to that album a whole heck of a lot. I have to, I have to say, I, I for whatever reason, it's like I, I like the record, but I just never go to it. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. 
of the clap. Okay, yeah. Which is odd because there's when I thought when I think of the song The Clap, I think of the song by Yes. <laughs> that was my uh, not, impression of the orchestral hit. <laughs> yeah, not it's not on that album. I know. <laughs> uh, um, one one thing I'd, I'd like to throw out. I uh, this is I guess more for for uh, Rich, uh, but um, is there any like like aside from Thing Fish? Because we've harped on that one enough. What Zappa album leaves you cold? Hmm. Or or is there any? Hmm. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any other than the obvious. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm going through now. Um, hmm. Uh, Burnt Weenie Sandwich didn't ever really caught my attention. Um. Uh, hmm. a, uh, you know, I don't really listen to guitar or shut up and play your guitar much because, you know, especially shut up and play your guitar because that's like three hours of just guitar solos and that's a bit much. Yeah. Well, well okay. Well, shut up and play your guitar is an hour and 45. Guitar is two hours and 11 minutes. So that's. That's almost four hours of guitar solo, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm with you on the guitar albums, but like I think for the the normal albums, like I, I totally disagree with you with Bring Me a Sandwich. By the way, I love that record, but but that's okay. <laughs> but uh, for me, and this is one that like actually like Isla and I used to argue about so much because she's a big Zappa fan too. Uh, Them or us? Them or us? Like. There's a few tracks on there that I really, really dig. Like I, I do like uh, in France and uh, "Baby Take Your Teeth Out" is awesome, and "Be in My Video." But a lot of it just kind of is there. Hey, I, 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 I've been, I enjoyed them or us. It's I don't think it's perfect, but some of it's I, I like it a little more than I think than you do because I mean, "In France" is a fun, stupid song. Yeah. Yeah. Another part of the, the groupy uh, conceptual continuity. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually do like the cover of The Closer You Are. Yeah, uh, that's you, okay, and, but it... Yeah, and when you know the story behind putting Whip and Post on there, it, it yeah, makes it a I, more... And I have to say, their, their version of... the um, That band's version of Whip and Post is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. I, like, for me, like, the I think the... I think the uh, the particularly contentious track was uh, Frogs with Dirty Little Lips with the lyrics by, uh, what, four-year-old Amit? Moon. M Moon unit, oh, was Moon did it? I, oh, I thought it was Moon. Amit. Oh, well. It was well, either way, Moon, though, or, Moon or Diva. Okay, well, either way, it was it was a, a Zappa child wrote the lyrics. And no. she she thought it was funny and, and cute and, and she liked it. And I was like, just like, <laughs> Meh. It takes up real estate <laughs> for other things, <laughs> but but yeah, I don't know. It's it's for whatever reason. I do love the cover, by the way. The cover art is amazing. Yeah, with, with the cute puppy on it. <laughs> yeah, I like cute puppy. Yeah, you got the three albums in a row with the puppy. You've got uh, 
Perfect Stranger, Francesca Zappa, and Them or Us. Yeah. And then for some reason you have Thingfish. <laughs> Which has no puppy. And that's the least of its problems. Um, I, I tend to prefer the Crush All Boxes version of of the songs that are on uh, You Are What You Is. But that's a bootleg, mm. so... Uh, yeah, um, and it doesn't I, diminish you are what you is by any stretch. So, yeah, yeah, and I think it's like kind of funny because I always like thought of um, before I got the bootleg, I always thought of Crush All Boxes as basically being a dry run f- of um, Tinseltown Rebellion because that's the same. That's what the cover art was going to be, mm-hmm. and you can even see under the Tinseltown Rebellion, you can actually see the Crush All Boxes logo airbrushed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was I was actually pretty surprised to find out that it was more "You Are What You Is" than uh, Tinseltown. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I do like Tinseltown Rebellion quite a bit. I don't know if that's I think I get the impression that's kind of an unpopular opinion, but not like a really like disputed one. Oh. Like yeah. I think I think people are kind of like eh. Yeah. Or I'm like reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I don't really listen to much of the live albums. That are explicitly live albums. Yeah, I mean, so much of his albums were cannibalized from live tapes and redone in the studio, and yeah, right. it's so the live live albums I tend to just skip over. Though I do have a soft spot for I think it's uh, yeah, you can't do that on stage three. Is awesome. Uh, you can't three. I'm I, I have to remember what when that one is. I had to go oh, double check, yeah. but I mean, yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, especially because of the uh, somehow everyone from the eighty band, eighty four, eighty eight band getting stuck, eighty four band getting stuck on this uh, Lone Ranger thing. <laughs> yes, I owe silver. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a, yeah. a really hilarious version of I think it's Honey, Don't You Want a Man Like Me, where Zappa can't. Remember, Frank can't remember the lyrics. I, I think I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah I, yeah it's I I think for me like a lot of the you can't do that on stages. The the more successful discs for me are the ones that are more like more or less complete concerts or at least act as a complete concert because I know that he would always every live album would basically be an assembly of tracks. You know. Mm-hmm. But, like, the ones that actually feel like a live concert, because there's a few of them that are kind of, like, here's some random stuff. Here's some stuff from the 80s band. Here's some stuff from the Mothers. And here's some stuff from your mom and whatever. <laughs> so, um, I think... I bet you didn't know that your, your mother played with Zappa. No, I didn't. Um, I should probably... Let's... Ask her about it sometime. She was awesome. Yeah. To, to wrap this up, I guess, you know, since <laughs> Andrew, uh, you have... We're, uh, we need to help you learn how to where to get in more into Zappa so yeah um, I know you guys have, I don't know if it, if we were on air but I know you guys mentioned like stay away from the 80s except for this and that and so maybe we can kind of conclude with that sort of thing okay um, gen- yeah. generally the rock albums are where to begin uh, I'd say well you've already got what do you have so far Andrew I have so you got what Zappa Hot have, rats. Uh, hot rats. You are what you is. Apostrophe. And is that it? 
I've got, let me just do this alphabetically. Now. Okay. Uh, I've got absolutely free, uh, apostrophe, Congress shall make no law, hot rats, we're only in it for the money, the yellow shark, and you are what you is. Okay. Okay. Good. Don't listen to Congress shall make no law yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I, I yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that's, well, first of all, most that's of advanced just, Zappa. That's not even advanced Zappa. That's graduate studies. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're here to. We're, we're, this, we're. I think you're. You're. You're in Zappa one hundred and two, Andrew. If that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So what we're gonna we're gonna get you up to Zappa two to two hundred level today. Nice. Um. Obviously, the first thing you need is overnight sensation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because yeah, that's um, basically that's what you need to complete Zappa one hundred and one. Uh. Right. Yeah. Now. So, um. Let's see. You you are you a you're a jazz fan, Andrew? Yes. Yeah, you, yes. you said so. Okay. So the two the the, the two early seventies jazz albums, Waka Chawaka and Grand Wazoo. You you'll need. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Lumpy, the, oh, go on. I was back. gonna say that those two are kind of considered like Hot Rats Part Two and Three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So especially if you like Hot Rats, definitely get those. Okay. Uh, um, you might also want to get lumpy gravy. I'm not going to say it's essential, but that'll that'll get you started. Uh, Joe's Garage, you need, especially since yeah. you have you are what you is, and you are what you is is sort of a continuity of uh, Joe's Garage, continuation of Joe's Garage. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember reading somewhere where when he was debuting the you are what you is material, he was introducing it as Acts Four and Five of Joe Gar- Joe's Garage. Oh wow, mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. know that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, chic your booty you need definitely uh, one size fits all yeah um, how do you feel about for conciseness purposes Matt what the component parts of leather excluding chic uh, to be honest like I, I don't know for for whatever reason it's like I mean I I I I would recommend leather but I think the individual pieces like I guess uh, Roxy and elsewhere is like probably the the best because mm-hmm. um, Roxy was part of that right or as I'm thinking no Zappa in New York Zappa in New York that's the one that I'm thinking of is Zappa in New York is the the one. And that one is that one is Am good. I that one's missing that. I'm missing Zappa oh. in New York. How do I? How oh. did I miss that? You live in New York. <laughs> I didn't always. <laughs> but but yeah, I, of of the leather set, I would get Zappa in New York, um, and then probably get the other ones later. Um. Like also on the the jazz tip, there was recently released a um, discs called uh, Wazoo, which was the uh, it's a two disc CD set um, that sort of like the um, there was like the 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 touring band that like existed very very briefly, the uh, Petit Wazoo, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like the document of that very brief you know, section. And so I, I would probably recommend picking that up too. Like, but that might be like more of a Zappa 300 level. Yeah. Or at least 250. Uh, 
And if you were, in, if you're curious, I would recommend Jazz from Hell. If you're curious about it, I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. you don't need it, but I'm not going to tell you to not check it out. Okay. <laughs> um, and see, and what you should also consider doing is getting. Um, if you want to have something to work up to, um, maybe get le- get leather. Um, and I don't know. I, I've I've only listened to Civilization Phase Three once. I I don't like Civilization Phase Three. It's supposed to be like the part two of Lumpy Gravy, mm-hmm. but. And there's a lot of like stuff from the 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 lumpy gravy sessions in terms of the chatter, but it's I don't know it just doesn't click with me very well. It's just sort of like eh. Huh. Um, make a jazz noise here is pretty good though. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the '88 live albums. Yeah. Um, like uh, one of the ones that I like if you, if you liked um absolutely free and this is an it's another mother's album but it's a different lineup of the mothers mm-hmm. uh just another band from la is a is a great one um that was like the one that like actually growing up my dad would tell me the story of billy the mountain so it was like kind of kind of amazing you know like kind of growing that up because like he loved that record and would you know listen to it over and over <laughs> so okay oh wait you don't have freak out do you andrew no. Get yeah, that. freak out. You need. Okay. Yeah, fa- but just to wrap this up, like the fir- when you, when we get off the call, get uh, overnight sensation, then get freak out, and then take your time to pick whatever you want from what's left. I, all right. I, I would probably actually go with uh, one size fits all in that in that first batch. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so those th- those three, I'd th- I'd say. Yeah. Well, you t- should definitely listen to one size fits all before Joe's Garage. Just so you can get the sofa reference. Yes, I mean, and sofa's a gorgeous song too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, and I know you're, um, you're you're an English you're an English uh, you have an English degree, Andrew. So you'll appreciate this too. You know, intertextuality. Yes. Yeah, Zappa's stuff is rife with the musical equivalent of um, intertextuality, which is what he termed conceptual continuity. Mm-hmm. A phrase you might recognize from a certain song involving a poodle. <laughs> which is also a bit of conceptual continuity. <laughs> you see, God was originally trying to make a schnauzer, but he fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so you're, the more in-depth you get, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll catch themes, you'll catch um, lyrics, you'll catch stuff that just pops up again and again uh yeah. like louis louis mm-hmm. right or you know is that a sears poncho or is that a mexican poncho yeah th- what are the links between overnight sensation and apostrophe spoilers yeah mm-hmm. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. so yeah and, and i mean there's like you know like a few that you know probably well, I don't. I don't even know if they're like. I, I think if you go with at least like those ones, you'll get enough of a base that it won't really matter so much if you end up going from from the ones that we mentioned to some of. So even some of the kind of eh, Zappa records. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. just because I think you'll at, with that backing, you'll kind of know at least what he's about. Yeah. And so you'll at least be able to appreciate some of the later stuff and you might even, you might even dig it, you know, right. you know, stuff like Broadway, the hard way, which definitely has its moments, but. Okay. Yeah, I wish, I wish Zappa used horns more in his rock work. So. Yeah. I just like horns. <laughs> so unless we have anything else to add, um, see, um, one thing I guess I, I should uh, throw a shout out to is um, I actually did an interview with a fellow named uh, Ed Palermo. Um, I guess I guess now it'd be about what a, a, two years ago, uh, but he's done like three, three or four, I think three albums of um, big band arranged uh, Zappa tunes, mm-hmm. um, and sort of like on that on that tip of you know. Rich wishing there was more horns. There, there you go. And uh, he, he's done a lot, like really good stuff. And he's a super nice guy. And so I actually threw the interview with him in the show notes. But check him out. Um, like I love the the first album, but I think that one is out of print now. The uh, which is just called uh, "Plays the Music of Frank Zappa." And there's also "Take Your Clothes Off When You Dance." Uh, which has a lot of really good stuff on there. And the new one is uh, Eddie Loves Frank. So yeah, throw those in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I threw in the, the interview uh, with him. And I'll throw in his website, too. I th- Ed Palermo. Uh, but yeah, like super nice guy. Like um, I, I just happened to... C- contact him to do an interview to ask me to do an interview and he was really really nice and he told me that he had two albums of his own stuff out that were like from the 80s and he just actually just burned me copies and sent them to me which was really cool and they're and they're also really really good cool um and and there's a bunch of live stuff on his website for download so you can kind of see and and he plays new york a lot rich so so um check out his site maybe get on his mailing list and go see him sometime I think I will. Okay. So, um, I know we still don't have an order for this, but where can we find each other? <laughs> um, I'm on kittystasis.com, which I've actually thrown, like, because uh, since it was a Zappa show, I wasn't really sure what to throw in the show notes until we talked. So I just threw in basically kind of a a uh, crash course in the Zappa stuff that I have covered on, on kittystasis up up to this point, which is ironically a lot of the, aside from the Ed uh, interview, like kind of more advanced study stuff like the MoFo Project Object <laughs> review. So, yeah, though the MoFo Project Object is worth having just for the mono version of uh, Freak Out, which is preferable in my opinion to the stereo version. Yeah. Yes, we actually have opinions on that, Andrew. We're that nerdy about these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. And where can we find you? Uh, I'm at andrewmarvin.net and at andrewmarvin on Twitter and all other internet services. Yep. Sandspoint.com, Sandspoint on Twitter, Sandspoint on app.net, Sandspoint on last.fm, Sandspoint, Sandspoint, wherever. And of course, we are Crush on Radio. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at crushonradio.com, Crush on Radio on the Twitter. We have a Facebook page, but we don't use it. <laughs> I occasionally use it and then no one else does and 
and and it's all like I'll be like, hey, what do you think about that? And no one will reply, and I'll be like, okay, <laughs> the end. <laughs> so have a great Veterans Day because that's when we record this, and it goes out on the Monday. That is where Veterans Day is celebrated. Absurd. And it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, if you have any Frank Zappa questions, ask ask us, Matt, uh, Andrew. We'll be happy yes, to. Yes, we'll do. Thank to, you guys to, very to much. Your, to guide. And, and actually, let's let's throw that out. If if you if you you as a listener um, have any uh, Zappa questions, send them to us through the website, through the Twitter, through the barely used Facebook, and we might answer them on a a follow up show mm-hmm. if there are any. I mean, questions, not shows, because there's going to be more shows. Yes, we'll do we'll do these shows until the day we die. Yes, well, mm-hmm. like like twenty twenty one hundred will be all like, I remember music once. I think these it was good. Should, <laughs> damn kids today with their um hip hip hop klezmer mashups. <laughs> that would actually be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right. Nice talking to you guys. That's it. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Great googly moogly. <laughs>